Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And so many Americans across the country are frustrated. You feel demoralized. You feel cheated. You feel robbed. And others feel ecstatic and elated and and overjoyed of the events that are transpiring with the peaceful transition of military power in the United States. I'm going to tell you, do not lose heart. Do not lose your oomph, don't lose your zeal, because honestly, the best is yet to come. I don't just say that because the president said it. I say it because I believe it. Now, check this out. Yesterday, everybody had one thing on their mind, the inauguration. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, quite frankly. Some people were hoping that there was going to be some sort of last minute surprise and others couldn't wait to see the festivities, to see the uh, celebration that Joe El Baboso Biden and Kemal Ayres had going on in Washington, D.C. Now, peace and unity are virtues. Indeed, they are. Yet we, the people, were kept out of the mostly virtual inauguration of Joe El Baboso Biden and Kemal Ayres. The public swearing in of Joe El Baboso Biden was only public if you were part of the ruling class in D.C. I watched one part where a military marching band walked down the street and there were no people along the parade route. None. Just a black security wall with barbed wire along the top of it. It was about six feet tall. That lined the entire parade route from the kind of panoramic view that I had from the camera. I guess it was a helicopter shot. And I was watching it on the live stream from the studio here. Now, I had the honor of being invited to the previous two inaugurations. So the last two presidents, their inaugurations, I was invited. I was astonished at one of them and honored by the other. Honored by both, quite frankly. And of course, I was shocked when, you know, as you would imagine, when President Obama invited me to his inauguration eight years ago. Obviously, I was a big critic of the president's. I had a column in the Washington Times, Communities Digital News. And yeah, for the most part, that was my uh, angle, right? I was constantly coming at Obama because I disagreed with his policies. Yet I still got a invitation, which was really cool. So if you want to check that out, check it out on my social media. I'll be tweeting it out in a little bit at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez. I'll probably put it on Instagram as well, uh, being that parlors, um, revamping and, uh, Facebook. I think I put it on last night, but again, at Rich Valdez, if you want to get me on the social media, I was really honored to be invited to President Bush's inauguration 16 years ago, January 20th, 2005. It was the works. My wife back then, and I were invited to attend the swearing-in at the Capitol, the prayer service at the National Cathedral, and the inaugural ball that evening, which was just, honestly, just a gorgeous event. It really was. Now, President Bush and First Lady Laura 
they had a ceremonial first dance at the inaugural ball, and they came out and they did their dance, and it was so elegant. It was really nice. And as I walked into the ballroom, Vice President Dick Cheney and his wife, Lynn Cheney, I was going to say Liz, <laughs> they were they were cutting the rug and they were dancing uh, on the ballroom floor. And at that time, you know, this again is pre-COVID and pre a lot of things, the um, the crowd was allowed to dance on the dance floor with the vice president and the president was just walking off the stage, the um, the dance floor. So it was pretty cool to be with my wife dancing at my wife at that time to be dancing right next to the vice president of the United States and uh, the second lady. It was an amazing experience. I only wish I would have arrived earlier because so much of the city was locked down around all of these locations, whether it was the Capitol, the Omni Shoreham Hotel, where the ball was, or even the National Cathedral. I mean, the earlier you get there, the better seats, the better location positioning you get, etc. And this is, again, this predates cell phone cameras, right? So you had to actually have a like a digital camera with you to take good pictures, which is why I don't have a lot of those pictures. But long story short is that I was a kid. I was just a kid, 26 years old. I lived in Union City at the time in a condo that my wife and I had bought. I was your average Joe, I think. I was we the people. I was there participating and witnessing the transfer of power, the transfer of military power to the new commander in chief. And it was awesome. At the Biden, I should say, Joel Baboso Biden and Kemal Ayres, the uh, vice president, there were no bleachers with crowds of people in the stands. There were flags that were used as props to fill the area, an area that proud Americans once filled, and they proudly lined up to witness their government in action. Sadly, we can't blame the pandemic for all of it because, well, we do know how to social distance. We do know that if this were a protest for any number of reasons, that anarchists from the anti-establishment fascist agitator groups like Marxist race hustlers, etc., you know who I'm talking about, the BLMs of the world, the Antifas of the world, and so many others. There's a lot of spinoffs. We'd see huge crowds of people that are legally exempt from social distancing. Legally exempt. So why, as we pursue unity, as we pursue healing, why would we do that? Why would we prevent people from being involved in their own government? If the message is unity, why put up a fence covered in a black tarp with razor wire along the top of it if you want to be united with the people? I think for that we have to turn to philosophy. We know that Marxist philosophy is one based on separating people, dividing them into different groups so that you can have an us versus them. So you can always focus on some sort of inequity all because because so-and-so is doing whatever I can't do what I want to do. B.S. Bravo, Sierra. Hell no. Listen, old saying, I don't get fat because of what you eat. Bottom line, I do me. You do you. That's liberty. That's what it's all about. So when people try to tell you, listen, I, I, I'm brown, I'm black and brown, black and brown, right? I am very brown. I am uh, American, a proud American of Puerto Rican heritage, Latino, Hispanic, Hispano, all day. But listen, I'm part of the people. We the people is not a something that's divided by color. We the people is not something that's divided by how much money you had. Now, so of course, you're going to get somebody says, well, you know what, Rich, you're wrong because we the people didn't include black people when it was written. You're right. It didn't. But guess what? A two-thirds act of Congress created amendments to make sure that they were included, to make sure that women were included, to make sure that we make minorities part of the priority. And I think that's legit. It doesn't make anything perfect. It doesn't make anything erase the past. 
We shouldn't live a life where we erase the past. I'm a better man today because of the humble beginnings I had growing up. That's just a fact. You appreciate things more. You get more hustle in your gut. I get lots of things in my gut, quite frankly. I like to eat. But my point is, your experiences shape you. And they can shape you for good or they can shape you for bad. You can live focused on the future or you can live focused on the past. Somebody once told me, if you drive, looking in the rearview mirror, you're bound to crash. Now, Joe Biden, at the inauguration, he says that democracy has prevailed. He says that we have overcome violence to ensure the peaceful transition of power. Listen to this. On this hallowed ground where just a few days ago, violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation. We come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. As we look ahead in our uniquely American way, restless, bold, optimistic, and set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. So the nation that we can be and we must be, and I got to say, those platitudes are words that I can agree with. I truly can. I believe all of us agree with I, I hope, I hope that all of us can agree with that, that we should be united. The problem is I think some people really live their life through the lens of racism. And what happens is they'll listen to something like that, and when somebody they like says it, they agree with it. And if somebody they don't like says it, they don't agree with it. For example, I agree with what Joe El Baboso Biden says right there. I do believe that we should overcome violence. I do believe that we should be the nation that we uh, can be and that we should be because that's the nation that we are, a United States, a union of a republic of, of United States. That's fact. It's irrefutable. It doesn't matter who says it, whether Obama says it or Trump says it doesn't matter. The problem is when you say, you know what, I like what Biden said, but at the same time, you want to hold on to or bring back segregation. And I'm not saying, you know, Biden is a segregationist. That's a whole different topic. And I think, you know, it's one we've explored in the past. What I am saying is if we've come so far from the days of Jim Crow when we've left so much of that behind, why? Why would we have movements today that are solely focused on isolating people by ethnicity, by race. Why? I think it's okay to be proud of your heritage. You know, when I go to a family gathering, we don't segregate it by Puerto Rican people. We just happen to all be Puerto Rican people. But guess what? My brother married an Irish girl. My other brother married a, an Italian girl. So you have this big blended family, and there's nothing wrong with that. And we don't go, oh, hey, come to our party. We're having a brown party. No, nobody says that. You know, if, you, if you're Jewish, People don't say, hey, come to my house. We're, we're going to have a Jewish party. They may have a culturally Jewish party, like, hey, we're having the Seder at my house. Uh, we're having Passover at my house. But again, they're not going to say you can't come if you're not a Jew. So my point is, why do we have so many people in society today that are making that pivot, that are making that, that move towards focusing solely on race? And of course, again, it's Marxism. There's a few key areas that always work. They want to segregate you by race. They want to segregate you by how much money you make. They want to segregate you by, as the great one would say, by your genitalia or what you claim to be. You know, whether you claim to be a man, claim to be a woman. This is why they do that, because they know that divided we fall, but united we stand. 
So everybody that's all about equality for this and equality, they say equality, but they in practice and in theory push for division. Now, some will say, no, 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 Rich, you're wrong. When we say equality, we want to see women CEOs across America. All right, great. If women want to be CEOs, I don't even know that many women that want to be CEOs, but let's just say they want to be. Who's stopping them? Is there some sort of patriarchal uh, evil guy? Maybe. But by and large, I think most people have opportunities. As I stand here right now, whether by hook or by crook, the president, uh, the vice president of the United States is an ethnic minority. She's Indian from South Asia and Jamaican by heritage. She's the vice president of the United States. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like opportunity. That sounds like if you want to do something and you work hard enough and figure out how to beat the system in some cases, maybe in some elections, then that's what happens. And this is my point. It can be achieved. Barack Obama, first black president. These things can be achieved. Herman Cain, black CEO from Pillsbury and Godfather's Pizza and all these other companies. It can be achieved. In life, the free market doesn't promise equality. None of us, I think, I would hope none of us are radical egalitarians where we believe that by by force and by might from whatever external pressure we can come up with, whether it's the government or regulations that we're going to create, are going to force someone to be good. And, and I use myself as an example. Every now and again, I'll get a hater on social media that'll be like, oh, look, the token, he's got his own show. And I think the token, that's funny. If they only knew how free market driven this business really was. Now, yeah, while I may be an ethnic minority and it's part of my persona as a broadcaster, if you're a bad broadcaster, it doesn't matter if you're white or black or brown or anything. If you're a bad broadcaster, you're a bad broadcaster and they're not going to have you. You're not going to get sponsors. You're not going to get airtime. Nobody's going to listen. My program charts pretty good. Not too long ago, we were number 51. So I say that not to brag, but I'm proud. And I thank each and every one of you for listening and subscribing to This Is America with Rich Valdez and listening to the live show, whether it's every day, Monday through Friday on WLIR, or if it's on the weekends, live at 5 o'clock every Sunday, WABC with the world famous WABC, one of the first three radio stations in America, the most powerful talk radio signal in the United States. Of course, I'm proud to be there in the biggest media market in the world. And that's why I make that point. Because it's the competition that will eat you alive if you can't survive. doesn't matter who you know or who you've worked for. If you suck on the air, you're getting booted off the air. That's how it works. And that's how it works in corporate America, and that's how it works everywhere, unless you cheat your way. The free market is the free market. In life in America, we have the promise of opportunity, but we don't have the promise of equality and outcomes. We all have the same shot, and it may be difficult for some people, more than others. My dad didn't go to college. My mom didn't go to college. So, of course, had my if I, my dad was a lawyer and my mom was a college grad, it'd be so much easier for me to navigate the early years of my life because they would have done that already, probably been more successful, had more money in the bank, and said, no, son, you're going to do this. said, I had to figure out those things, but I figured many of them out, and now I can guide my kids, and it's easier for them. You're going to call that brown privilege? That's not brown privilege. It's just legacy. It's hard work. It's people living life 
and doing better for the next generation. And that generational knowledge that families provide, that generational coaching and, and, uh, and even wealth that they can pass on is only built through grit. It can be passed on from generation to generation, but it doesn't just happen somewhere along the way. Somebody had to work really hard to make money, save it, invest it and build. So when you have these people that are just talking about privilege and they want to break things down and destroy them into the most granular things, you know, this is a, a, a bald Puerto Rican guy born in Brooklyn, New Jersey, right? So that's the category. Once you get categories that are that specific, when you divide people up, I can no longer have too many people in my category because that's such a specific category. So ultimately, this divide and conquer strategy of the Marxists ultimately ends in individualism because people become so unique as people. And that's how it ends up. So keep it locked right there. We are just getting started. I am Rich Valdez and this is America. This is America. He's got the best head of hair in podcasting. This is America with Rich Valdez. Welcome back, America. Bienvenido. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all social media. And I want you to imagine what it's like to go out and begin to try to defend someone that's indefensible in this situation in front of the new gaggle of the media mafia in the White House press room. So earlier today, Jen Psaki, the president's new person. Now, President Biden's press secretary, I want you to hear how she is asked a question, and I'm not even going to say artfully, but just doesn't answer them. She dances around it. Check this out. Two big concerns for pro-life America. The Hyde Amendment, which, of course, uh, keeps taxpayer dollars, as you know, from paying for abortions, Medicaid abortions, and the Mexico City policy, which under the previous administration expanded to keep tax dollars from overseas paying for abortions. So what are President, what is President Biden planning on doing on those two items right now? Uh, well, I think we'll have more to say on the Mexico City policy in the coming days. Um, uh, but I will just take the opportunity to remind all of you that he is a devout Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. Uh, he started his day attending church with his family this morning. Um, but I don't have anything more for you on that. I've got nothing, nothing, nothing more for you on that. That's how she dances around the question. This dancing around is reminiscent of what you hear on cable news when you have cable news people that just say things that sometimes just don't make sense. And clearly, this is a very focused question. And she's on the losing end of it. That's why she she waffled the way she did first day on the job. Why? Because we all know Joe Biden is not some sort of JFK Democrat. Even JFK wasn't that uh, pro-life. That was a very direct question about the Hyde Amendment, about people that are, you know, he phrased it well, pro-life Americans are concerned. And she says, well, Vice President Biden, blah, 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 blah. I mean, President Biden, excuse me, I, I misgendered him, pardon me. The president, it's difficult to say, quite frankly, Biden says that, I do want to be respectful, that he is um, a Catholic. Now, takes you 15 seconds, if that, to do a Google search, Biden Catholic Communion. See what you find. A ton of articles of people, namely priests and bishops and others, that are saying, sorry, bruh, oh, over the years, for a long time, because of your pro-choice stance, 
we cannot serve you communion. Yet, good old Biden's like, oh, well, I'm a good old Catholic. Now, I'm not saying you're, he's any less Catholic, even though the church's position is, is pro-life. I am saying that he's just not in line with his church's teaching. I think that's safe to say. So for the press secretary to say that, you know, this is what the president is, you know, he's a Catholic and he's he's not going to do things. He's going to reject it the way they've rejected him from getting communion because he's rejected the church's stance. The church says life begins at inception. I mean, Catholic doctrine, honestly, is very, very specific on when life starts. And some instances so specific that I've been told of people where even not even where life starts, where life comes from, right? Where it emanates from. So, you know, there's a, I guess there's not a, an eloquent way for me to put this, but there are some that say that self-pleasure is wrong, not because it's carnal, but because it's a waste of seed of future children. And that's the Catholic teaching that uh, I've somebody shared with me a long time ago. So, again, that may be something that's a little radical for some to hear, and maybe that person was radical in their teaching of that to me. But my point is it's one nonetheless. It's a real thing. So that being said, how is Joe Biden going to stick with the with the church on this when he hasn't in forever? He can't. Now, lucky for him, he's married, and his, now his marriage is being hailed as you know some sort of fairy tale marriage, a love-based marriage. And what's interesting is, while there may be marriages out there in life that are not based on love. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Don't you think it's kind of weird to say that this is like a real love marriage, a marriage that's really based on love? I think most people, there's gold diggers and other people that get married for interest, but most people get married because they're in love, because they want to spend the rest of their life with this other person. Even if it doesn't happen, that's their intention. So why would someone in the news whose name I'm not going to mention, Joy Reid from MSNBC, why would someone like that go ahead and make a comment like this? What a story, though. What a great love story between Jill Biden and Joe Biden. It's just a different kind of marriage. Uh, this is a, a love match like the Obamas were. So I think that'll be healing for the country, too. Healing for the country. Now, I got to say, did you get any inclination that Melania Trump is not in love with Donald Trump. I didn't. Uh, apparently, Joy Reid did. I didn't uh, get that memo. I've never looked at the Trumps and said, oh, my gosh, what a dysfunctional family. That's a family that doesn't work. Quite the contrary. I think when when Melania Trump said early on when Trump won and she said, Barron and I are not going right away. I didn't take that as that's a family that wasn't... Um, I actually took it the other way and thought, wow, what dedication that she wants, you know, keep her kid in school, didn't want to disrupt the system, you know, let the president focus on his stuff. Honestly, that's how I looked at it. Maybe I'm naive to, to look at it that way. 
But and then eventually they did. They went. They uh, went to Washington. They did what they had to do. They made all these appearances together. And some could say maybe that was for the cameras. But I, I had no reason to believe that it was anything but genuine. She looked like she was in love with him. She looked very genuine as a model. She wasn't a spokesmodel. So, I mean, she she's an attractive woman that smiled for the cameras. But when she spoke, it was incredibly clear how sincere she was, at least in my best estimation. She's not a politician. She's not one of these professional speakers like Lindsey Graham, who we'll hear from in a little bit. She's an actual real person. And as a real person, I think she was incredibly transparent when she spoke to America. And recent videos she put out saying how thankful she was to be First Lady of the United States. I thought, man, what a classy speech. So anyway, Joy Reid, I think you're, uh, you're wrong on that one. But it goes to show this is how the media behaves. The media is out of control. Anytime they can hate, they're going to hate. So Senator Lindsey Graham had some things to say about President Trump with respect to rumors from uh, reports that are out in the Wall Street Journal and Newsmax and other places suggesting that President Trump may, in fact, be discussing the formation of a new political party in recent days, hoping to continue his influence after leaving the White House. So it's unclear how serious this intention is. You know, sources are telling the Wall Street Journal is what they're reporting, that he would want to call such a party the Patriot Party. And the president is being reported to have discussed the idea with several of his aides last week. So Lindsey Graham had some comments on that. And I want you to hear what Senator Graham had to say. Well, I hope he does, and I hope he'll stay the leader of the Republican Party. Uh, if you're a conservative, this has been a good four years for judges, for rebuilding the military, for bringing order to the border, uh, for historic peace agreements in the Mideast. This has been a consequential presidency, three Supreme Court justices. Uh, I hope President Trump understands that... His legacy and his best future lies with the Republican Party. I hope people in our party understand the party itself. If, if you're wanting to erase Donald Trump from the party, you're going to get erased. Most Republicans like his policies. A lot of Republicans like his style. A lot of people are disappointed with him personally at times, but appreciate the outcomes he's achieved for our country. So this idea of moving forward without Donald Trump in the Republican Party is a disaster for the Republican Party. The one way Democrats can survive is for the Republican Party to crack up. The best way for the Republican Party to crack up is try to move forward without Donald Trump. Now, according to Newsmax, this news comes after Trump fought publicly with several fellow Republicans in the wake of the Capitol riot on January 6th. Several of them are laying blame, at least partially, on the president because of his fiery rhetoric at the rally. I say to that, BS, hell no. But... This is what's happening, and there's this rift. Now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he went to the Senate floor blaming the president and others for sparking flames that fueled the deadly break-in at the Capitol, blah, 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 blah. Now, listen, I think Mitch McConnell is a quintessential politician, and uh, I've never been a fan. I don't think his heart's in the right place. I think he is truly a symptom of the real problem, which is, People being addicted to government control, addicted to living in the swamp and off of the swamp. And here's the thing. The founders made it clear that we need virtue. You can't fix virtue problems with elections. You can't, at least not totally, you can't fix virtue problems with 
with more politicians and reelecting the same people because we need the devil that we know, not the devil we don't know. And oftentimes that's the case and the choice that we make in politics. Einstein says doing the same thing over and over without, you know, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Years ago, I, I was taught as a salesperson that in order to get the results you've never had, you're going to have to do things that you've never done. So putting all of that together, to me, it seems clear that if we really want to change Washington and literally figuratively drain the swamp, then all hands have to be on deck. Everybody has to get involved. And there may be a need for a new team. Organizing is necessary to people to say, and honestly, uh, I'm no uh, pollster or statistician, but I can tell you, Trump's already created this new party. People became Republicans because Trump said he was a Republican, ran as a Republican and caucused with the Republicans, you know, even though he wasn't caucusing. But you know what I mean? If Trump were to get reelection like Bloomberg did and then say, you know, I'm going to become an independent. People would have stuck with him just like they did. And then he became a Democrat or vice versa. Trump could do whatever he wanted to do because people bought into him. Now, he stood up for conservatism. Of course, critics will say, oh, it's a cult. No, it's because of what he stood for. It was for what he stood. He came out and said, you know what? For years, I was a Democrat. I didn't care. I was in business for myself. I, I gave donations to Democrats. I gave donations to Republicans. And as a businessman, that behooved him. Granted, understood. But as he knew more and learned more, he said, you know what? I realized I can't get down with these people. I cannot be like the Hillary Clintons. He realized that, you know what? This wasn't about choice when it came to abortion. This was about people funding abortion so that they could sell, harvest, and then sell fetal tissue. That's what Planned Parenthood does. It's a, it's a whole component of their business model. And people don't think about that and think, oh, well, I just thought some girl knucklehead got pregnant, decided she needed to fix it. She doesn't ruin her life. That's, that's always the same story, but they don't realize they want this girl to do that several times in particular, black girls followed by Brown girls. And they leave all of these facts out very conveniently. So the Planned Parenthood thing is, is a bad thing. When you have a chance, take a look at it. Maybe one day I'll tackle it on one of the shows. It's just so emotionally charged and takes away from the news of the day, which is what I prefer to offer commentary on. But my point, with all of that being said, Trump said, you get to a point where you realize, you know what, you just can't support this. You can't support people that say they're pro-choice and they're allowing a full-born child to be born like they wanted to in Virginia and like they do in New York. And then say, if the parent decides that that's not viable with the doctor, that they can now kill a baby out of the womb that's fully born at nine months. In New Jersey, you can get an abortion at eight and a half months. That's insanity. But this is the, this is the case. So, I mean, that was one issue where Trump flip-flopped, made a new decision, went in a different direction. And he said, you know what? I can't get down with that. He realized, you know, I'm going to go with the devils I know better than the devils that I don't know. He he knew he uh, he knew how bad each side was and said, you know what? How bad can the Republicans be? I'm going to run as a Republican because as a businessman, he realized, you know what? Making money is a big thing. These guys are more fiscally conservative. I know what I can bank on with these guys. I could probably gain more common ground with them as matters of faith. This is an older guy now. You know, he lived his life young. He was a billionaire playboy. Good for him. He's married several times. He was a bachelor. 
but now he's been married to Melania for a long time. He's settled down. He has another son. Listen, I'm not mad at him for any of that stuff. He kept it real. He never once lied. He never said, no, 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 I'm a priest. I'm a, I'm a monk. I'm a Franciscan. He never came across like that, and he didn't campaign to be a priest. He campaigned to be president and said, I'm a businessman. There's a swamp over there. We need to drain it. I voted for a bull in a china shop, and that's exactly what Donald Trump was. It's exactly what we needed then, and honestly, it's what we need right now. This, this idea of unity and healing is very nice. The problem is, you're, it's like saying, listen, hurry up and get well when you know somebody's in the, in the second day of a really bad cold. You know, they have to sneeze it out, have their fever, whatever it is, and then they get better. We're not at that point yet. We still have a lot of corruption in our politics, and that's the problem. Is voting for people going to eliminate people that are morally corrupt? No. People keep calling me, texting me, asking me on social media, what's the use of going forward with a new party, with the old party, with any party? If they're going to rig the elections, if they're going to do this, if they're going to do that. Now, let's, let's get this straight. 50 states, only six were contested. Almost 3,000 counties in America. Only six of those counties were primarily contested. The big counties in each of those six states of which Trump was winning in most of those six states. And I'm not going into any type of uh, these people conspired to steal the election. No, I'm not doing that. I'm just pointing out the facts. That is the fact. It's not just my opinion, which it is. It is a fact that you take away those six counties and Trump overwhelmingly wins this election. Now, of course, that's, you know, it's like saying, hey, you add six inches to me, I'm in the NBA. Yeah, I get it. I get what we're saying. I'm just trying to help you see the picture because to me, this isn't about the election. We know that they stole an election in 1960. We know that the election of 1864, there was a general that went against Lincoln and they used mail-in ballots as the fraud. This is real. It's part of our history. They lied. The guys that were dead, they were voting. They were doing this back then, 1860, 1864. And I did a whole show on this. Look it up by ballots if you go on richvaldez.com or if you go on the uh, wabcradio.com, you can find the podcast. It's a pretty good one, if I don't say so myself. So my point is people that are devoid of morality, that are used to breaking the rules, that are brought up to break the rules, maybe their dad was a crook or a political corruption expert. What do we do? I think we have to ask ourselves a foundational question. Is this a government of the people, for the people, by the people, or is this a government of the politician, for the politician, by the swamp? We have to ask, what's the answer to that? That's how we fix it. So what happens when everybody's morally corrupt? How do we work our government system if people don't follow the rules? And people get frustrated, very frustrated. Lots of people are frustrated and they say, you know what? I give up because what happens? You know, they rig the system. They do this, they do that. I've got no way to win. I have no voice. And I say, no, 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 slow down. Listen, I just told you. You know, you've got 44 states that that had elections that weren't even contested. You've got out of the 3,000 counties minus the six that say that were contested. You've got 2,900 counties that are uncontested elections. There was no problem. To say that everything is rigged against you is not legitimate. To say that, you know, it happened in 1960 and we can never vote again. Of course, we even saw Trump got elected in 2016 in a system that had been used before for fraud. So I don't buy the idea that we should never vote again. Come on. We have to be bigger and stronger than that. We're Americans. We have to be more resilient. 
that's the equivalent, in my opinion, of saying, you know what, it's New York City. People get mugged, people get raped, people get killed. And I think to myself, okay, does that mean we stop going outside? We stop going to work? Hello, my boss, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. I can't come to work because people are getting mugged, people getting raped, people getting killed. Of course not. We have to move forward. We'd still go to work despite the crime. That's how it works. And if you don't like the particular area you're in, you don't like that job, you move. You don't like voting in New York or New Jersey, you move. Okay, I get it. Move to Florida, move here, move there. Understood. All valid. Well, you don't give up. We don't give up. And that's the point that I'm making. We have to keep it real. We have to stay focused. We have to stay the course. We have to come together and coalesce as patriots, as people that love America. Now, listen, don't move. Don't go anywhere. We're almost through this. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Bienvenido, Rich Valdez, El Conservador. Now, with respect to what's going on culturally across America, I'm looking at all these different things. One of the things that uh, I want you to hear is some commentary from Jason Whitlock from Outkick.com. Uh, he's been on Levin a few times, if you heard of him. I don't know if you're a sports person and you follow him. But Whitlock is an interesting social commentator because, you know, he's uh, an apolitical guy. The first time I spoke with him on the phone, he mentioned to me and then he mentioned on air with uh, with the great one that he had never voted in an election, like into his 40s. And I was like, wow, it's remarkable. You know, he was really that disengaged. And he says, if you don't want to be considered a racist, um, you know, then what you have to do is support the left. And I don't think that's fair, but he breaks it down really well. And he also says that the BLM movement, in many ways, he compares it to another organization. Check this out. I compare Black Lives Matters to the KKK. I really do. And some people don't understand it. But if you go back to the 1860s, After the Emancipation Proclamation, the KKK was started and it was the enforcement arm of the Democratic Party. And what's the enforcement arm of the Democratic Party right now? Black Lives Matter and Antifa. They will come to your home and violate your home, try to intimidate the people in your home if they disagree with you politically. That's fascism. The government using force. Just here, it's not the government. It's the political party using that political discrimination again. If you disagree with us, we will come for you. It is the fascistic idea wrapped in political activism. This is literally the Nationalist Socialist Party, right? Also known as Nazi. That's the Nazi party. That's what they did. I I think it's so remarkable that we're living in a time in history where we're being fed this by so many people and very few are rejecting it. Maybe I should take it back. Maybe not very few. I think the Trump margin of victory in 2016 and the the difference between him and Biden in 2020, I I think shows that remarkably there is nearly a majority or a very, you know, a sliver of a minority of people that are buying this stuff that's being fed to us. It's about 50-50, 51-49, if you want to argue. Okay, so that means half the country believes this crap and the other one doesn't. And I have to think it's not that half the country really believes it. 
I think it's a half the country just tolerates it and just says, oh, yeah, that's what we need to do in order to win. And this is why you've got groups all over the country that are moving and shaking and making all sorts of things. There's a movement among parents to fight left-leaning indoctrination in K-12 through schools. In 18 states, they've got chapters all across the country now, and they're growing very, very quickly in the last half a year or so. And the reason is because they've woken up the giant. Now, one of the founders of these groups is uh, Elena Yaron Fishbein. And in an interview with College Fix, she says that the growth of this movement is coming from the far left because it's attacking curriculums and it's threatening their children, threatening all of our children. And and this is a, a big issue. So, I mean, this is why we're seeing the type of growth that we're seeing with these movements. People are saying, you know what? No more. This is why you've got parents, educators, and activists that are taking on this left-leaning stuff in school curriculums, mainly in California, but it's happening everywhere. And why? Because they're, they don't want this anymore, this uh, critical race theory and these other studies or models for ethnic studies that they're implementing in places. People are like, listen, we don't need to radicalize people by race. This is no longer about sociology, social studies, and history. Uh, this is about trying to divide people by race. That's not something we can do. It's not something we should do because it leads to radicalization. You know, I got a, a note from a friend of mine. He really is a friend of mine. I've known him for more than a decade. And he says to me, you stand with a nation that's ethnically cleansed my people. You support a president, and I use that term loosely, he says, that has banned people of my Muslim faith from America. There's no love for anyone that supports these values no matter how much you try to convince yourself that you're just being a patriot. So he goes on to say, if you don't love Palestine, in effect, I can't love you. And I think, you know what? He goes on to say, there's a line in the sand. This is happening because of the media. This is happening because of the classroom. This is happening because of people at so many levels of government. That's why I always say the same thing. I quote Hamilton. It's important that we stand for something because if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. And Sir Edmund Burke and Lord Acton, who said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So don't just sit there and do nothing. Become active. Get involved in a party. Get involved in creating a new party, a new chapter of a new party. Whatever it is you want to do, just do it. Get people on board with the philosophy you believe in. A philosophy convention of states. That's a great movement. We're actually going to have Gary Burner on soon. So keep that, uh, save the date. But until we do, hasta la próxima, until next time, America, do what's right. Stand up for America. And I don't mean storm the Bastille. Don't go and trash Congress. But do reach people and teach people. And love your fellow man, because that's what America is all about. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. 